Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 82nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off Historic Abbey Road, where you're following the adventures of an American expat who loves rock and roll and misses his record collection in America more than his friends and family. We're trying to give you the perspective of the UK rock fan to the US rock fan and vice versa. And listeners of the show know that Progressive rock is something that uh, the Wolf has gotten into quite a bit here over the last decade or so. Certainly has dragged our co-host Action Jackson along the way into it, and I think he's starting to really enjoy it now. Progressive rock features extraordinary musicianship, and the band that I'm reviewing here tonight is no different. I did have the good fortune of going to see Yes! on the Close to the Edge 50th Anniversary Tour here at Royal Albert Hall in London. And it's something we've all been waiting for here for two and a half years, you know. COVID had postponed it, postponed it again. We started to wonder if it was ever going to happen. Then when it got close, we heard that Alan White was ill. He was going to be replaced by Jay Shellen on the tour. And then just before the tour started, we learned that Alan passed away, which is very sad. So, of course, then they, they're now dedicating the tour to Alan, and the band is soldiering on without him, with Steve Howe at the helm on lead guitar, also Jeff Downs, who was on episode 79, and I hope that you tuned in to hear that, because we talked to him just after the death of Alan White. I talked about what Alan meant to him personally and as a bandmate, and then of course we talked a little bit about the upcoming tour and the Close to the Edge album, so please do check out number 79, uh, Ugly American Werewolf in London, our interview with Jeff. But I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Originally billed as the Relayer Tour, they were going to go into Relayer in its entirety, but now that it happens to be 50 years since the release of Close to the Edge, they decided to tour on Close to the Edge, and I think we're going to get Relayer in 2023. At least that's the plan overall. But it was a special night in London. I think people have been waiting for a long time. There was a bit of a railway strike, so not everybody could get to the show, which is unfortunate. But I don't think that dampened the mood for the people who actually were there, because it was a beautiful night. Roger Dean, who of course has done so many of the iconic covers, not to mention the logo for Yes, he was there. And he had a lot of his works with him. You could buy prints in a little mini gallery they had set up, not to mention he introduced the band uh, and kicked off the festivity with a tribute to Alan White. So we're, we're going to go ahead and jump into that. As usual, we want people to know that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network of podcasts, about a hundred different music podcasts out there. Something for everybody, really. And we always like to give shout-outs to our friends who are in the rock and roll genre who we have worked with in the past, like Jay from The Hook Rocks doing classic and new rock and roll bands out there. Jay is great. He's had me on his show before. Also, a shout-out to Paul Richardson on the Vintage Rock Pod uh, and This Day Rocks. We've had him on our show talking about Oasis, and he has uh, had me on a few times on This Day Rocks, and, and we love that. It's a great way to kind of start your day. Also, of course, want to give it up to Tom and Zeus who shouted out loud. We wouldn't be on Pantheon without them, and they are fantastic hosts and are good to their folks. Uh, and I hope to hear from them again here real soon. And we want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple, Spotify, Amazon. Good Pods has been very good to us. We end up in their top 10 lists a lot on their music podcast list. So please go ahead and do that. And if you're thinking about it, guys, if you enjoy our show, please go out and give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock and rollers like yourselves. 
And if we get wind of it, we might just read it here on the show. Now, I'm really happy that I got to go to Yes because two days before Yes, I was supposed to go see Noel Gallagher and Hampstead Heath. Uh, but I got some kind of wicked non-COVID illness. It really kind of knocked me out for four or five days there. I had a fever. I was snotting out. I felt horrible. I let my wife take my daughter at least for a few songs to the Noel Gallagher show so that they could enjoy it a little bit. But I just couldn't go because I felt awful. Plus, I did not want to risk missing the show with Yes at Royal Albert Hall on June 21st. So I bit the bullet. I let the girls go. And I got well enough that I could go to the Royal Albert Hall show and felt a heck of a lot better after a couple more days of rest. And so glad that I did. They did Close to the Edge in its entirety. It also did a lot of classic favorites that I'm going to talk about with Jackson here on the show. So without further ado, prog rock fans everywhere, please tune in. We've got Yes doing Close to the Edge at 50 at Royal Albert Hall in London right here on The Wolf. Yes, at Royal Albert Hall, live after, what, two and a half years, three years, something that we've all been waiting for. And a change in, uh, in material, too. This was supposed to be the relayer. Well, that's right. When, we, when I bought it, when, we, when I and every other Yes fan who bought these tickets years ago, they were going to be doing relayer in its entirety, the 1974 classic featuring Gates of Delibrium, which they had been playing in recent years. The only record to feature Patrick Moraz on the keys between Rick Wakeman's stints in the 70s. And then I guess, well, of course, they had to postpone it from 2020 to 2021 and then from 2021 to 2022. And then when they realized, okay, well, now this is the 50th anniversary of Close to the Edge. We've got to celebrate that because that is regarded extremely highly, right? That is that is one of the top five progressive rock albums of all time. Yes, correct. So basically what happened is they this would have probably been the next tour anyway. So they just basically just skipped over Relayer. Basically that's what happened, you know. And yeah. it it's probably also it's a little it's got a little bit more I don't know if cachet is the right word. Let's just say it's probably got a wider audience to it close to the edge. Mm -hmm. than does Relayer, right? And they have done close to the edge in its entirety before. However, I think A they did it along with another album and B they did it backwards. They did Siberian okay. Katru, and then End You and I, and then Close to the Edge. All right. For whatever reason. Yeah, okay. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but okay. Yeah. So seeing this tour, it may not technically be the first time you saw Close to the Edge in its entirety, but it's the first time to see it like in order, <laughs> like the way you may have heard it on the record. So, yeah, so uh, they switched that up, and I do believe that next year they're going to come back in 2023 to visit Relayer. At least that's okay. that's the plan as I understand it. Okay, so you're back at Royal Albert Hall. Yes, and I was one of the fortunate ones because you see what you may not be hearing over there in America is right now there was a bit of a railway strike going on oh. in greater England. And, uh, and I think that yesterday, and we're recording this on June 22nd, the show at Royal Albert Hall was June 21st, and about midway through this small tour of the UK that they're doing here. And so getting great reviews on the show so far, places like Nottingham and Glasgow, and a few places they've already hit. But then all of a sudden, there's this 
railed strike. So a lot of people who are maybe coming in from other spots can't come anymore, at least not very easily. So when I got in there, there were some empty seats and some very nice seats that I have a feeling people couldn't make just because they, they couldn't get here for one reason or another, which is really too bad. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, it's, it's the world you live in, but that does kind of, that, that does stink because I know there are some pretty high profile areas that are maybe an hour or two. Uh, I know some guys that live in London, they live about an hour south. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that, yeah, if the, if the trains weren't running, you weren't going to just get in your car like that's just it. Maybe you don't even have a car right? Yeah, to come to the show. Exactly. And if you live pretty far away, like what if you're in the Midlands and you wanted to come down where you're not going to drive seven hours or something crazy right. like that to come down. So, yeah, so it, it's kind of a bummer. It, you know, and my, my wife works from home yesterday. She can walk to the office if she wants to, but she's like, what's the point? No one else can make it in. The trains aren't running. I'm not going to sit in the office by myself. I might as well stay here, you know? So, so that was that, but it was a beautiful summer day. The streets were packed with buses and cabs because there were no trains running. So it took me a little while to get down there, but a beautiful day. And I get into Royal Albert Hall. This is my third time in the last, I don't know, six or seven weeks, whatever it's been that I've ever been to the Royal Albert Hall. And I get in there, and of course there's merch tents, and you can see I picked up my ah uh, yes my close to the edge fiftieth tie dye shirt here, and a Very beautiful nice. beautiful tour program here, which has all sorts of amazing pictures and stories in it. I want to give a shout out to the Gottlieb brothers who did an interview with uh, Roger Dean in this program here. They've been following us on Twitter for a bit here, and obviously they're big Yes fans, but they. They did an interview that's in there, and it's really good, so so all credit to them. Because there was a bit of a gallery there of Roger Dean's work where you could buy prints. And they weren't necessarily prints of the albums, they were prints of the artwork. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to just get the Dragon with the Pearl on the Asia album, or you just wanted to get... You know, the snake with like the bridge of the Relayer album or, or whichever one it was, you wouldn't necessarily have, it wouldn't necessarily look like an album cover. It just looks like a work of art, which is what they are. Yeah, I saw the pictures that you posted and they, those did, did look absolutely amazing. And I think that would be kind of cool to have that. I mean, if you don't, it'd be the Asia Dragon, you either know it or you don't, and you can have it on your wall. And people that know will be excited and people that don't will think it's just a really, excellent draw cool dragon print yeah, right yeah exactly. absolutely and and some of them were pretty pricey some of them were bigger some of them might have been signed so obviously you're going to pay more for those but i mean like the dragon print was only like 145 quid which is like maybe 200 bucks or something like that mm-hmm. i'm like yeah, I'd, I'd certainly pay for that you know that was really nice so you know it was cool to see that he has a, a gallery trading boundaries which is down in sussex which is a good two two and a half hours south of london where you can go and see his prints you can even buy the originals if you got the bank wow but uh but but i i would say that i don't um but but <laughs> but then you can get prints and stuff and you can see it all together there i think maybe his daughter has an exhibit there as well so it was just it was cool to have kind of a celebration of all of everything that has to do with yes basically right you know not just the music but obviously roger dean's art which is fairly synonymous with them yeah yeah and then that's the part of the whole experience too i was i was trying to tell my wife and she couldn't care cared less but right. the whole thing about how you know when you look at the when you look at the record the cover especially for yes was such a big part of the whole experience um, and yeah, the stuff that you would want to put up on a wall somewhere to, to 
look at and appreciate the the Asian dragon is cool. We looked at, we talked about close to the edge being like, Hmm, interesting that you would put that much work into a green cover. But a lot of the stuff is very intricate and you could spend a lot of time just looking at all of the things because you've got the main, whatever it is piece. And then there's all stuff going on in the, in the corners and in the background, there's a, there's a lot to just take in on these pictures. There really is, you know, and then obviously we're big Asia fans as we've been over many times and, and he was key with them. He also did some great stuff for like Uriah Heep. He's done some stuff for Steve Hackett. Osabisa was something with the flying elephants that was pretty amazing. So I mean, he, he's done amazing stuff over the years. Some of his architecture is really cool. And he got to come in and introduce the band. Oh, nice. Basically, they had a young woman come on to kind of introduce Trading Boundaries and, and introduce Roger. Mm -hmm. And then Roger came up on stage and, and he talked about how he got out of school, I think, like in 1968 or something like that, right at the same time, yes, we're forming. And he talked about how in 1972 was the first year that he created the Yes logo, which is so famous now. And that was also, of course, when Alan joined the band. He didn't join till September of, of 72, after they'd recorded the album, but he, he jumped on for the, the world tour, and that he didn't quite make it 100% 50 consecutive years, but, but so very close, and his, his passing was sudden and sad. And so they, they did a little bit of a tribute to Alan after that, you know, showing some pictures over the years with some... Mm music and things like that. And then they did Firebird Suite, the, the Stravinsky song, which they've walked out to for years. And then one by one, they'd show Steve Howe's picture and he walks out and they show Jeff Downs and he walks out, you know, and uh, who do they do next? I think it was, I think it was John Davidson after that, then Billy Sherwood and then Jay Shellen, who is, has played with them for years now and is an old friend of Billy Sherwood's because, because Alan uh, has, has needed a little help on occasion uh, in recent years, and so sometimes they would all play together, and sometimes Jay would kind of take over in spots. But they came right out, and they got right to it, you know. Uh, and it was, uh, whew, it was a, it was a really special night. It was great to be in in Royal Albert Hall last night with so many like-minded people. Speaking of like-minded people, I understand that before the show mm. you found out there was a very special slash interesting person sitting behind you yes yes so i i sit down and again the folks who've listened to our show on nick mason's saucer full of secrets which we did i don't know not too long ago within the last couple of months uh, i would say that was a really special night that was episode number 75 when i basically sat on stage <laughs> at Royal Albert Hall, like right mm. next to yet on the stage. I was in the same row, in the same section, the M stalls, right there, just about maybe 12 or 14 seats further away this time. So again, I level with the band when I was standing up, very, very good seats. And those seats swivel. They kind of point towards the center as if you were going to like watch the circus in the round or something like that. But then they swivel so you can face the stage. An American woman comes and sits behind me. And she's like, oh, hey, these seats swivel. You know, I didn't realize. And I kind of told the story about when I was watching Nick Mason, how I was so cool that I could do that. So she seemed nice enough. And so then some other English guys come and sit down next to her. And they kind of start talking like, didn't I see you on Cruise to the Edge? Or, you know, I've been to the Cruise to the Edge, which is something that, Yes, tends to do every year. And, and they got to talking and then eventually said, well, I, John Wetton was my husband. 
And I spun around. You know, I spun around. I go, oh, my God, you're Lisa. Uh, and she goes, oh, yes. And I'm like, wow, it is very nice to meet you. So, And then they kind of went into the show. So I really didn't get a chance to talk to her. But during the intermission, because they do about nine songs kind of from throughout their career, most all of it was the 70s, right? Um, they mm -hmm. did. And I'll go through the set list here in a bit. Um, it, it's kind of 69 to 80 was their sweet spot, but then they also did, you know, a couple off the new album, which were great. Then they take a little bit of a break, then they come back to do all of Close to the Edge, and then they round out with their encore. But yeah, during the break, she was extremely kind, because I just want to tell her, look, listen, I, I don't want to bother you, but your husband's, John's music meant a lot to me, and I just wanted to let you know that. And she said, well, that's very kind of you to say, and you know, she, she was very nice, generous um, and of time and, and understood that, you know, she, I mean, she could have just said, look, pal, I'm here to see my friends play. Like, I know these guys, you're a fan. Mm -hmm. I know them all personally. Don't bug me. But she was, no, she couldn't have been nicer about it. She talked about she's lived here in England, I think, uh, uh, in John's old hometown down on the South Coast for the last eight years or something like that. And, you know, she grew up in a musical family. She's a drummer. I think her mother was a singer and her father was a drummer, you know, so... She was very nice about it. And I told her about how we interviewed Carl and Jeff and, and because we really wanted to talk about John. And, and I didn't even bring up how we, we asked Amanda Lehman about John just because mm -hmm. we, we, we like him so much. But she was very nice and, and wished me well. And, you know, uh, so it, it was just a, an incredible moment. It's, it's one of those things my wife would say, this stuff only happens to you because somehow <laughs> it does. You know, like who, when they're at the Ryder Cup, bumps into Nico McBrain and gets him to shake their hand on the course? You know, well, apparently it's me. <laughs> and, and, you know, who bumps into Frankie Benali of Quiet Riot in the airport? It's, it's always me, you know. So it, it, just having Lisa on in this month where we've interviewed two of the four original founding members of Asia, not to mention another subsidiary member, Chris Slade, after that. Now I'm at a Yes show, my first real proper Yes show in a long time. And uh, and there's John's widow, Lisa Wetton, right there. So It's too bad. I would have loved to have seen the look on your face when you put two and two together. Of you, you know, you talk to this woman, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden you turn back around and wait a minute, bang. Mm -hmm. I got it. That can't be the end of the conversation. I know. I know. Well, she, she was very nice about it. She made time. And it sounds like there may be some projects going on, both written and audio, uh, to celebrate John's life and works. Okay. Um, in the future, at some point that, that you know, we might, uh, that might come down the road. So that's, that, that's promising. I mean, that's, that's really exciting because we talked to Jeff about, hey, there might be some stuff that he wrote with John and there's probably stuff in John's archives. Maybe he did solo or whatever mm -hmm. that fans like, like us would love to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excited about that and excited that, that she was very gracious too. And the, like you said, she could have just been like, yeah, buzz off, dude. I'm here to, I'm here to see the show. Yeah. And, and she knew a lot of folks there. I mean, there's a family of folks who, who are kind of part of this whole yes family, whether they're, you know, part of the crew or they're part of the PR or they're, you know, now they have kids and stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of folks. And, and going to the cruise to the edge, there's people who do that every single year. And then you get to meet them and get to know them. So uh, it was just nice of her to say hello uh, and, and say thank you for the kind words. And mm -hmm. she didn't have to do that. 
but she did. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So your seats were pretty good in the same row. Fantastic. I mean, and technically, these are the worst quote unquote seats that I've had in the three <laughs> shows, right? Because I was at fourth row when Jeff Beck, I was basically on stage for Nick Mason. And here I am, all of 12, you know, maybe what would have been the sixth or seventh row had I been on the uh -huh. floor and 12 seats back from where I was for Nick Mason. But it was perfect. And I could see the stage better. And they did have these nice screens that could show old photos of the band and it could show the artwork uh, mm -hmm. from the different sets and things like that. And lots of Roger Dean stuff. So it was, it was cool. It was, I, I wouldn't have traded the seats for anything because the fact of the matter is there were seats in front of me that never really got filled. And so huh. I could have gotten, I could have jumped one down or jumped up and gotten a little bit closer like the dude next to me did for the second set. But I'm like, no, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I mean, this is a great vantage point right here. And I'll, I, my phone is wicked old. My pictures don't really come out, but the videos aren't horrible. So I'll definitely post some more of those today and in the coming days. But yeah, to get into the set, they started off with one that I didn't really know that well on the Silent Wings of Freedom. That's from Tormato. Okay. And uh, which was not one of the Roger Dean covers, it's one of the Hypnosis covers. And that was what that was, 78. Yeah, 78. Mm -hmm. Rick's last with the band for a while. Back cover was taken on the top of Primrose Hill. I think the boys all had leather jackets on that. Didn't know that one as well. So I, I wasn't following along note for note like some of the others that I would, but like they come out and they sound great. And I'm going to say it now, I might as well just get it out of the way. Billy Sherwood is an amazing musician. He, he's, he deserves a hell of a lot of credit. I know a lot of people might, the haters out there might want to complain, without Chris Squire, it's not really yes. Okay. I hear your argument. Yeah. Okay. Chris isn't with us, unfortunately, anymore. If you right. want yes to continue, someone has to play the bass. And this is Billy, who's been in their orbit more than 30 years. Okay. And he, he's toured with them in kind of a, a capacity of like additional keyboardist guitarist before. He's been like co producer engineer on a lot of their stuff. So he, he's, and he's written his own songs, produced and written a lot of albums. So he's an amazing musician. And to go up there and play Chris's stuff so well, which is lead bass and so intricate, they were all great. And of course, I'm there to see Jeff and Steve primarily, but Billy knocked me out. He was awesome. That, that is a tough, that's a tough thing to take on. Uh, I mean, like you said, either you have him or you have nothing because Chris is no longer with us. But right. yeah, to go out there and play that part that is so intricate, or parts that are so intricate, and so you would, you know, the, the hardcore, uh, yes fans, if you make a mistake, they're going to know. And if right. you, you can't, you can't just kind of like, you can't just kind of sit in the back and just kind of groove. I mean, that is its own part. So to play it like that, it, that is, you're right. That is something not everybody can do. Yeah, no. And he, and he did it very well. And that's the thing. I mean, a lot of times the base, that's the underneath part. A lot of people don't notice it, but not with yes. Right. Correct. That, that's kind of what they're listening for. Right. You know? Plus, Chris sang, he was the primary backup singer. So Billy has to fill that role as well. Now, I saw Billy play with Asia, what, five years ago or so when they opened up for Journey. And he did fine, but it, uh, he doesn't sound like John Wetton. And mm -hmm. the bass parts in Asia are not necessarily what you're really listening for, right? It's, right. He, he did a great job. And I know that they were happy to have him on that tour. But uh, he uh, he really he impressed me very well, and he was even wearing kind of like one of those long 
kind of lightweight dusters, <laughs> you know, that Chris, yes. not quite a cape, a duster. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but so, but that was, so they start with that and then they go into yours is no disgrace. And that's a big one, right? Everybody knows that one. And, uh, you know, from the Yes album and, you know, Steve kind of came in and introduced some of the, some of the songs, mm. but he let John Davison talk. Cause I, I saw in an early review that Steve Howe is obviously the leader of the band, and that's been obvious for years. Right. But he dominated, I guess, earlier concerts. He was the only one who really addressed the crowd. Whereas John Davidson did get to say a few things between songs and, and talk about how proud he was to be in the band, you know, because this marks kind of the 10th anniversary of him being the singer, which is, which is kind of, you know, it's good for him. Again, those who want to complain that John Anderson isn't in the band, because I saw that John Anderson is going to do some kind of 50th anniversary tour for Close to the Edge on his okay. own. John does a very good job staying true to the keys and the performance. Okay. And and to me, that's a little weird. I know I've seen other bands where the other people besides the lead singer will have interactions, but it's really kind of weird if the if the lead singer isn't a main point of contact. It just it just mm-hmm. takes a little bit. Like that's what you're expecting. You're expecting the guy with the mic to also do the crowd work. And when it doesn't happen, that's a little weird. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that he's getting to do that now. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And he, he's earned his place yeah. at this point. True. Interesting note about John Davison. You know, he he is American. He grew up in, I think, Southern California. Growing up, one of his best friends, and they, they, I guess his nickname is Wano, Wano Davison. All right. The guy who gave him that name is Taylor Hawkins. Oh. Because they were best buddies growing up. And, and then they grew up and obviously became huge huge musicians in their own right. And I guess at some point the Foo Fighters were on tour and John went to one of their shows and he came up and sang Tom Sawyer with them. <laughs> I'll have and to like, look for that. My that, would be, uh, God. that sounds cool. Well, like, where is that? Can we find that on YouTube? We got to find that man. That's really big time, you know, yeah. so just crazy how talented people just kind of find each other over, over time. Yeah. And it's interesting too, how two guys can be, it's not like they were in the band together. They, mm-hmm. they independently had these musical careers. And it, unfortunately, you know, everyone knows the passing of Taylor Hawkins. That's tragic. Uh, and I think they're having two big, one or two big uh, concerts for him coming up pretty soon to yeah. celebrate his, uh, his life. September 3rd at Wembley. And I think there's one the 27th of September in, in LA, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but it's, it's, it's star-studded affair. I mean, we were talking about like, the surviving members of Rush, the surviving members of Queen. I mean, like big time yeah. talent. Yeah, and actually, I guess Taylor had gotten to know Chris Squire. They gotten to be buddies, and he had always told him, "Look, if you ever need a replacement," which eventually they did for Benoit Davies. Like, I've got just the guy. Huh. And and that's kind of how John got into the band. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hi, this is Jeff Downs. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf. Uh, now, going to the third one, Steve did introduce that. He's like, you know, before I joined, he's like, okay, Yours is No Disgrace was the Yes album. That's when I came in. Before me, there was a guy named Peter Banks, a very talented guitar player. Uh, and so we're going to do one-off time award now. And that's no opportunity necessary, no experience needed, which is a Richie Havens cover. Mm-hmm. And we all know what Richie Havens' claim to fame is, don't we, Jackson? Of course. 
Of course. But but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, <laughs> no, but uh, because this just occurred to me, how do you feel about the, them interviewing your, I mean, uh, not interviewing, but introducing the songs? Oh, I like that. Uh, especially if there's a story behind it, or if there's a, you know, there's a reason they're going to do that. I actually enjoy that. I, it, because for the super duper guest fan, they're going to know it on the first two notes or whatever. But you know, when you've got a band like, yes, it's made 20 records over 50 plus years or whatever it's been, it's more than that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's good to know the song or, and maybe why they're picking that. Well, what's your feeling on that? I kind of like it too, because there, there's sometimes where it takes me a minute sometimes and it's like, okay, well now I know what the thing is. And, and so I don't mind it. I think it's kind of cool. And I like it because it kind of, it gives you a little more time to, to get into the song. And maybe if you don't know it, you can say, or, or you're not super familiar with it. You can kind of get it into your mind real quick before they get into playing it. Cause there are some stuff. And like you said, there in every band that it plays, there's stuff that I know that I would do that I'm going to see there's stuff I know. And then there's stuff that, okay. Yeah. I do remember this, but it takes me a minute. So I don't mind that at all. No, no, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Totally, totally cool with that. And, and they did it really well. And then they go into a song called Does It Really Happen, which is off drama. And I didn't, I'm bad with song names unless it's, mm -hmm. unless I really know it or it's like in the chorus, basically. You know, like I know what Paradise City is because they say it 500 times, right? But <laughs> I don't really necessarily know it. And I'm really glad they did something off drama because my favorite, you know, I like Into the Lens off drama. My favorite is Tempest Fugit. I just think that is quintessential, yes. And I think the drama album has aged extremely well. Like when it came out, there was a little bit of pushback, like, hey, there's no John Anderson on here. Hey, this isn't Rick Wakeman. And it didn't do super well commercially, even though I think they sold out a week at Madison Square Garden for it back in 1980 or whatever it was. And I think over time, it has really been that, you know, embraced by the super hardcore Yes fans as a real classic. And so no Tempest Fugit, a little bit of a bummer, but does it really happen yeah, that's great because, I mean, look, the fact of the matter is now, the band lineup now that Alan has just passed away, getting more than 20% of the band that played on that album is tough. Yeah. Right? You know, because uh, Jay's never really played on anything. Billy's only played recently. John Davidson's only played recently. So it's like Jeff and Steve, 40% of drama. Well, that's good, you know, and, and played it very well. It was... It's not one that I was uh, that I knew as well as some of the others on the album, but it's really good. Okay, yeah, and, and it's yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say on that. I really don't because it, it's they're not replacing people because they're upset with them. It's they're, they're just they're just not with us anymore. And wow. I know the John Anderson thing can go either way, but it's it's that you know it, can we take what you've got left and and make something out of it that you'd want to listen to and the answer is yeah the answer is yes uh -huh. it uh -huh. is something <laughs> that that is the tough part these days and then and then it goes to you know like you said with John Anderson he can sing but he can't get to the same key anymore and Not on all the songs yeah, yeah. he's already doing a falsetto so yeah it's it's a right. little tough yeah and then wasn't wasn't there a whole thing with Steve Howe for a while about how he would not change the key yeah that's basically i mean he's like look he's like no look it's it's got to sound this way everything else has to sound the same way around it so i'm not tuning down right which is why you have a, a singer who's you know 20 years younger or whatever mm -hmm. Uh, who can hit those notes? Well, speaking of Steve, then 
he introduces the band. He introduces Jeff and John and Billy and Jay. And then I think it was Billy who then, or maybe it was John who, who introduces Steve. So then he sits down and does clap, which mm-hmm. we've seen him play in Asia. He, he does that quite a bit, but he sits down acoustically and, and just jams that out. And everybody else walks off stage. You know, they get a little quick break refreshment, whatever, while Steve kind of has his moment. He does that, and then they come back out and do Wondrous Stories, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful song from the, uh, uh, from the Going for the One album. Again, that kind of second period of Rick Wakeman uh, in the 70s. Uh, and I always thought John Anderson really delivered really well, and that's when I gave John Davison a little credit here, because I, I thought he, he not only played the acoustic guitar, but he, he sang it really spot on. I, I thought he did a very good job on Wondrous Stories. Excellent. That's a pretty song. And if you botch that, it's like, well, dude, I mean, come yeah. on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, you know, and then it goes into the whole thing of, of, of especially bands that are older now, it, it's more like a, they've gotten to the point where they understand why they're there. And I don't know if Yes ever had this problem, but there there have been problems in the past with bands who were, hey, you're just here. You should be happy that I'm here. And you know what? If I'm not 100%, well, you know, last night was a little rough. Now everybody's like, we understand that people are here to see the performance. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to be 100% spot on. Um, you know, there is no more, you know, uh, craziness behind the stage. It's just everybody's here. Everybody's 100%. Let's play the best show that we can put on tonight. And they did. It, it was a great night. Everyone was very into it, very respectful of it. And I think everyone's so starved to finally see I mean, waiting three years, two and a half years, whatever it's been. You know, they went ahead and put out a new album in the middle of it just because they they could, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, yeah, that's they seg right into a couple of new songs from the Quest, which Steve introduced, and they they started with the Ice Bridge, their first single. And I got to tell you, man, it fit in perfectly with okay. the old stuff. And you know, sometimes that's not the case. It's kind of like, yeah, you just gonna have to get through this new one. You know, maybe you go get your beer or whatever during this, right? And I was a little, I was interested to see how that turned out because you know how did they segue into it did it sound like it fit in was everybody in the crowd excited to hear it or was it kind of like ah hurry up this is not why we're here so it it's it's good or refreshing to me to hear that they that it fit in well and everybody was excited because you're right i can't imagine anything worse as a performer then you try you put this new music out and then it's just crickets when it's time to play that i know but you know they and we talked to jeff about this in our interview he's like you know mm-hmm. you've got to move forward you know right the, the thing is though i mean their previous album was it fly from here i think that was not very well received so it, it's a little bit of a risk and it's been eight years or something like that so it's a little bit of a risk but the ice bridge especially i thought was great they had some cool visuals behind them for it, and it fit in very, very well. Dare to Know, which is also off of the Quest, was next, and it was well done, too. I I like the Ice Bridge a little bit better personally, but it was was very well done. And again, I think they're excited to play it. I I think they're psyched, like, we've got this new stuff. And it came out, what, eight months ago or more, something like that. So they kind of been sitting on it, like, raring to go. Can we get do this? So I think they're proud to play it. Like I said, it, it fits in great among songs that are more than 50 years old. Right. And, and that's, okay. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that, that that fit in well. 
And I'm also kind of glad that they didn't go into, I mean, you, you were there to see close to the edge, mm-hmm. but it's not anywhere part of the first set. So you kind of get this nice warm up of some songs for us to kind of set the mood. You get yourself ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then did they, well, they, they've got another one, uh, heart of the sunrise Yeah, before the set before the first set closes, how was that? Yeah, so, and John came out and spoke a little bit about, he's like, okay, so we did Ice Bridge, and the last one was Dare to Know, and now we're going to do one called Heart of the Sunrise. And that's pretty intricate, too. That There's a lot going on in, in Heart of the Sunrise off Fragile. So it was it was great. And again, Billy was really good, I thought, on, on Heart of the Sunrise. That's kind of a show-off song for for Squire, you know, and uh, just really good. And Jay, he was just steady back there the whole time. I know he's been doing this a long time, but the rhythm section was so in, and just to see Jeff out there doing his you think about nine keyboards or something like that, so a little little toned down from maybe the the alpha days in Asia, but... (laughs) He didn't have 28 with him. No, no. And I, he had the Fairlight program in a couple of uh-huh. spots, you know, that he could he could pop on and off. But it was a great way to kind of wrap up that first set. And they come out and wave and they, they go out and, you know, they took a bit of a break. I mean, I bet it was a good 25 minutes or so, maybe maybe a little more. Well, that, well, okay. So that's nice, too, because you've got some time to maybe, like you said, get a beer, relax, and then have them come back and do It's more like an intermission. Yeah, uh, like like the old, yeah, well, not old, but the, the if you're seeing a play or something, they have a little intermission. You know, they click the lights up and down, and now it's time to come back. Do, for the for the close to the edge, did they change the set at all? I mean, not the the actual setup, or was exactly the same? Oh no, no, yeah, it was all the same. And, and some of the visuals in the background, you know, they changed the visuals, but no, everything's the same. Although Steve, you know, for some of these songs, Steve needed a, an acoustic guitar, you know, like they, they set it up on a stand okay. and then he wraps his hands around it for that part. Plus mm. he has his pedal steel, his stand up pedal steel that he would need for some pieces. So he's got his roadie back there. Uh, Just working. Yeah, really, honestly, because he, he'll use the mandolin and then he'll set that down in the road. He's got to put his hollow body on him. You know, then he maybe steps in front of the acoustic, steps back, he'll move that to make room for the steel, you know. So there, there's a little bit of orchestration for how in this 40-minute suite, but it, it went so fast, man. Honestly, close to the edge, and you and I, and Siberian Katru, when they went in, because we joked on our episode 79 about how Siberian Katru is the short one at nine <laughs> minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> But by the time they got to it, I'm like, God, is it already over? Because I know that's like a half an hour that I must have just listened to close to the edge in you and I. But I, I also was just kicking myself because in watching them perform those two epics, when I asked Jeff about, you know you have to stay true to what Rick is doing or can you make it your own? It's like, there's no room to make it your own, dude. <laughs> you know, it has to be precise. It has to be right on the money or else... No, you know, it's not going to sound right. No one's going to know where they are. So that was the dumbest question I could have asked him because this is not like a blues thing where you can just riff for four bars. It's got to be on the money. There's there's a great um, video I saw of it. It's Sting and they're play, he, it's the cameras to him and he's playing and all of a sudden he just turns around and looks at Stuart Copeland like, what are you doing back there? Mm-hmm. And Stuart's like, you know, sometimes, you know, I like to take things for a little walk. You can't do that live. You just can't. There, everybody is counting on you to play. 
exactly your part so that they can play exactly their part and the thing doesn't come crashing down around them. Right. Yeah, especially with the drums. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the beat part, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of what everyone's listening to to know where they are, right. you know. Yeah, kind of, kind of counting on you back there, buddy. What's going on? And especially when you're talking about yes, I mean the keyboard parts are so iconic and distinctive. You can't just go off script like that's right. that's not an option, you know. And I saw Jeff doing the doing the thing, wandering around. He played every single one of them. It's not like any of them are there for show. Just an amazing job for him moving back and forth, and then. When he's not playing, maybe for a few seconds, he's out there waving to the crowd or, you know, giving the thumbs up or, you know, like clapping along, trying to get them excited. I mean, he's he's very much a part of that band. I, you know, I know that there's people out there who will say Rick Wakeman's the best or Tony Kaye's the best. I, Rick may be the longest tenured ever, but I'm pretty sure that at this point now, Jeff is the longest consecutively tenured? I would think so. No, yeah. wait, Tony K's got to be the longest because he was there from the beginning until, what, about Fragile or so? I'm going to either... That sounds fra- about right. And then he was he was in 90125 through Talk. So you add those two tenures up, that's longer than Jeff has been in the band. But from 2011 or so through now, I do believe it, it, that would make Jeff the longest tenure, not to mention he was there for the drama record mm-hmm. which is is held in such high regard these days so no it was great and if, you know even for for billy who's by the name i looked it up his full name is william wyman sherwood so you take uh, away the sherwood his name uh, is bill wyman okay so of course he's a bass player man what in the world? <laughs> you have no other choice right yeah but he even played harmonica as as choir would do on some songs mm. you know so he, he's really fulfilling all of his roles as far as if someone's going to fill in for chris you've got to be able to do it all sing play the bass and even a little harmonica here and there but the the folks went nuts for the close to the edge they they thought it was great uh and when they got done i mean the band was really proud of themselves look they're they're doing and they have for a while now they do theaters they don't really do arenas anymore maybe in japan but i I think they really just do theaters this is a pretty big theater and it's Mm -hmm. in london so this means a lot to them obviously and so for them to come out and kill it and have the crowd really behind them you could see you could see the pride in their faces and they're thanking the crowd and blowing kisses or you know patting their hearts and like you know thank you thank you so much yeah i think there was a there was at least one post from jeff uh, either last night or this morning early about how, yeah, great crowd, you know, thanks so much for the energy. And I know that that plays a big part in the show. I mean, you're, you're focused in on what you're playing, but if the crowd's a dud, it just, it takes away so much for, it's much easier for them to work if the crowd is into it. Yeah. Yeah. And considering the crowd is older, I mean, once again, my, I was on the younger spectrum <laughs> at 50 ish uh, of the crowd, you know? So yeah, I mean, it's, they, they look, they sat down through most of it. They would stand up to applaud after songs yeah. and they would sit back down. However, after they wrap close to the edge, they bow, they walk off, you know, they're coming back. They come back and do roundabout. All right. Okay. They're not sitting down for roundabout. Okay? They're, <laughs> they're going crazy, especially once they get to the end. People yeah. are standing up and cheering and freaking out, and they they went nuts for that. You know, even the band could feel it. it's like, oh, here we go. Yeah, now we got a little something going here. You got a little vibe going, so you can you can pick it up a bit. So uh, 
that was look, the whole night was a highlight. I don't want to say the one huge hit was the best part because I honestly I'm not sure. Crowd wise, maybe it was as far mm-hmm. as their interaction, but it, it was just cool that you know the very reserved older English crowd. At the end of the night, they they were they were going nuts. They were so happy <laughs> to hear that song and to have their heroes kick ass on it. It was that was cool. Well, I like the fact that that overall they they kind of pick through a lot of the catalog. They didn't just focus on one album or one area of it. So I like I like that. It just shows you the kind of the depth of the catalog that Yes has to play. That's right. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. You know, and it was fun and it all sounded great. Mm. Now, for the haters out there, no, there was nothing from the 80s. There was nothing from 90125. People who've listened to the show know that that is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, Steve's argument is yes, is not a singles band. Yes, is an album band. And that's where we're going out to show off an album and to show off some of the cuts off of our big albums. I'm fine with them not doing Owner of a Lonely Heart and, and nothing from Nino. I'm fine with them doing nothing off Big Generator. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> no one wants anything off Union. No one does. <laughs> no one wants anything off Talk, I promise you. But yeah, and then they wind up with Starship Trooper, mm-hmm. uh, which is always a huge cl- crowd favorite. I'll admit I left before the end of that because with a railway strike, I'm like, I'm not waiting for a cab. You'd for two still hours. be waiting for a cab. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, I and I've seen him do Starship Trooper, so I'm like, you know what? Thank you. It was an amazing night. It was beautiful. I got my souvenirs. I got my pictures and my videos. I got to meet Lisa Wetton. I'm out of here. And uh, and I walked right out and I grabbed one. And I was in my house before most people were out of the building in mm-hmm. St. John's Wood. So. I think I made the right call. I th- I think you're right because, uh, like you said, especially with the railway strike, that was going to be a big pain. But back to what you're talking about with 90125, if you're there to w- see them play close to the edge in its entirety, you don't really care about that. That's not the yes that you're looking for. Exactly. Exactly. You want to hear newer stuff? They played stuff from the Quest. And the Quest is good. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's solid yes. And uh, you want to see close to the edge because that's the big prog super one. It's the 50th anniversary. You got to see Roger Dean talk a little bit about the artwork and stuff. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was I, honestly, it was a magical night. Now, take meeting one of my heroes, you know, his wife out of it. Mm-hmm. Still, I, I thought it was really special. I had fantastic seats once again. They were right on. They played an amazing night. I knew the material very well, and they played it superbly. And they were just, you could tell they were in a good mood. They were happy to be there. It's not like, okay, yeah, we've got, we had one last night. We got another one tomorrow night. No, this yeah. was. This was a big night for them. You you could tell. Well, that's excellent. There's I'm trying to think of what the when I saw a bad performance, but it, 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 I'm sure there's been one or two in my in my history. There's just nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than for whatever reason the band's off, they're tired, or they're just not feeling it, or the crowd is is just not. Don't want to say don't want to be there because you bought tickets, but right. for whatever reason it's just not it's just not gelling. That really upsets me. So I'm glad that everything was firing on firing on all cylinders, and that everybody was having a good time, the band and the crowd. Yeah, you know, the, we're we're not New York critics. Uh, we're not looking mm-hmm. to tear somebody down. If no. we go see somebody, we want them to be good. And if you go in with that attitude, this is going to be fun. This is going to be, you know, you'll that'll probably affect the way you see the show. 
uh, or the way you regard the show. At least I, I think so. And I wanted it to be good. Uh, and, and I was not disappointed. You know, it was a fun night out. It was a beautiful night in London. And, uh, you know, it, it may be my last show at, at Royal Albert Hall for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm proud to have been there. It was, it was a lot of fun. I got to say a very special thanks to, to Sharon Chevin of Publicity Connection, who was their publicist, who uh, you know, hooked us up with Jeff on the show. She's, she's been good to our show, and, and we thank you. She would be an amazing guest. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that she's probably she's also worked with some uh, artists who we'd be very interested in talking to her about. No, yeah, she well, and she's well, she's currently Steve Hackett's publicist, and she knows Steve and Joe pretty well. But she worked with Alice Cooper back in the day, and she worked with your personal favorites, Billy and Ian of the Cult. Yeah, that she might uh, regret coming on to talk about that because. <laughs> This can't go on for three days. Okay, but let me ask you: In 1987, I don't remember what's wrong with you. Why are you even asking that? <laughs> but no, thank you, Sharon. Yeah, absolutely. So look, they've still got a few dates left. I know they've got Birmingham left. They've got a couple of dates in Ireland, and they're going to be coming to Japan and the U.S. in the fall. So, folks oh. on either side of the Pacific, not to mention either side of the Atlantic, you got a chance to see us. I say go see them because Lisa was even remarking how now she was talking to somebody about how the Alan White's death, you know, was was unfortunate and surprising. They knew he was sick, but mm-hmm. they didn't know he was going to go downhill so fast. So, like, now they're really worried about Steve obviously being, I mean, he's the septuagenarian, right? He's the oldest one in the band now. Jeff's still in his 60s. You know, Jay's in his 60s. John and uh, and, and Billy are in their 50s. So I know that, that Steve takes very good care of himself. He's been a vegetarian for 50-plus years or whatever. He doesn't drink or do drugs or all of that kind of stuff. But you just got to worry about our friends because, yeah, we just lost Alan. I was in Sharon's office that morning, and then that evening we found out he died. So, I mean, it, it, it can happen fast. Yeah, it was, it was a lot like the Charlie Watts deal. You know, they, they, they announced, oh, he'll be taking a step back for a little while, no right. problem, you know, just going to get it, and then – Two days later, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. It was very sad and sudden, you know. So, yeah, no, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, in the last year, we've lost some pretty big drummers. We lost Charlie in, in what was it, July or August. We mm. lost Taylor earlier this year. Now we've lost Alan. And when we were talking to, like, you know, Carl Palmer and uh, and Chris Slade, I just wanted to say, guys, just, just <laughs> take care of yourselves. Yeah, please, you know. Yeah. Uh, make it look both ways before you cross the street, wash your hands and wear your mask. Cause I just, I can't handle any more of these drummers uh, losing any more of these guys. You know, uh, we, we, we do classic rock and part of that means you've been around for a while. So I need you guys to stay fit so we can still come see you. Absolutely. And speaking of that, I am excited about the, them announcing dates on the, uh, in the United States about where they'll play and uh, getting a chance to see them. Yeah, you do. I mean, I, I think they're excited. They haven't been to the U.S. in, I think, four years. It's, it's at least three, but it, it may be four. And, and, of course, Carl Palmer told us that Jeff, he and Jeff were going to be touring Asia in August, or at least that's the plan. So... Yeah, folks in America, you will get a chance to see some of your favorite prog heroes, Jeff and Carl and the guys in Yes in Asia here, hopefully very soon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely go pick up tickets. I don't care where you are, England, Ireland, later in the year, US, Japan, Canada, wherever, 
go see Yes. This is a special tour with fantastic visuals. You're going to have a good time. Excellent. Well, that wraps my review of Yes, Close to the Edge Live. 50 years at Royal Albert Hall in London. A really special night for me, a special night for all the Yes fans and Roger Dean fans that were there. Something we've been waiting for for a long time. More than two and a half years. And everyone was excited to be there. Everyone was excited to to pay tribute to Alan White uh, because obviously he couldn't be there for that and he's been an integral part of the band. He really joined the band for the Close to the Edge tour 50 years ago. And of course, we all wish he were there. And But everyone had an amazing time, I think. Some people maybe complained that the sound was a little bit off, but for me, it was just a fantastic night. A beautiful night out in London. A beautiful theater. If you've never been to Royal Albert Hall, it is all it's cracked up to be on the inside. Just a gorgeous place. Some people complain a little bit about the sound. But as far as being in an amazing place to hear a band that you love... I think it's a great place to gather, and I had a really lovely evening and and just so proud to be there. And I hope that everybody, whether it's in Birmingham on the 22nd or the the last few dates here in the UK, they are going to the US and Japan later this year. And I highly, highly recommend, if you have the opportunity, to go out and see them. And we thank uh, Sharon Chevin at Publicity Connection. We thank Jeff Downs for being on the show, and I thank Lisa Wetton for being so kind to me. Very nice to meet you, and I wish you only the best going forward. Of course, a little bit of housekeeping real quick. Yeah, I did mention in the show that everyone knows what Richie Havens is famous for. Well, Richie Havens is and was the first performer to play at Woodstock in 1969. So just to wrap that up for you, maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. He was a fantastic singer, songwriter, and actually a pretty cool guitar, more of an acoustic player than a string bender, but a a great performer nonetheless. Now, as usual, we've got a lot of Yes fans out there who could hold my feet to the fire on stuff I knew and didn't know, said correctly, said incorrectly. So as usual, folks, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. Please contact us. You can reach out to us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And you can let us know about the concerts, the bands, the records, the DVDs, the rock and roll properties you want us to review here on the show. Of course, we're proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and you can check out our show and about 100 other great music shows at Pantheon Pods or at www.pantheonpodcast.com. Now next week, one more big concert that's happening in Hyde Park this summer that I'm really looking forward to. Going to take the whole family to It's the Rolling Stones in Hyde Park. And yeah, I've seen the Stones six times. I've seen them across five different tours. I kind of thought maybe I'd seen the Stones for the last time. But summer tour in Hyde Park, I can take the kids. Boy, I'm looking forward to it. So next week, you have to tune in for that. Jackson and I have done several Stone shows already. They're kind of our gateway drug into big-time rock and roll concerts. Uh, and this is going to be a great trip down memory lane for me. Uh, Mick has apparently recovered from his COVID. They had to postpone both the Amsterdam and the Burn Switzerland gig. Uh, but they did Milan, and they're going to do Hyde Park on Saturday, the 25th. And we're going to review that for you on the next show. So thanks for tuning in. We love that we've connected with so many prog rock fans as my journey as an expat here in the UK continues. 
progressive rock being a very English subgenre uh, that the English rock fans take very seriously. And I'm just glad to be able to see so many of these prog legends up close and personal here in London. So until next time, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.